All right, if you have your uh, copy of the Bible, or at least the, the printout there on the bulletin, take a look again at uh, Genesis 28, uh, this great story of Jacob's ladder, or Jacob's stairway. I call, I'm calling in this uh, lesson tonight, Stairway to Heaven, which is uh, a good song for different reasons, but uh, this story is equally uh, important uh, for us to think about, uh, as all the stories about Jacob Uh, Isaac and Abraham are because it shows us how God continues to pursue his people even when they're doing bad and his grace overtakes them even when they're doing bad and promises them good that's what's going on in this story God's grace overtakes Jacob promises him good and turns this worldly man into a worshiper that's what grace always does it turns worldly people sinful people into worshipers because it overtakes us with God's goodness. Y'all ready to talk about that? It's good stuff. And so if you look at your bulletin, those are the two points, God's grace and then our worship, our spiritual worship that comes out of knowing and understanding grace. Another way to look at it is we're going to talk first about the dream, and then we're going to talk about Jacob's response to the dream. All right, so first let's look at the dream, verses 10 through 15. Uh, Jacob's on a journey, uh, and would you say it's a happy journey or a sad journey based on what we talked about last week? Very sad, actually. That's an understatement. I would call it a devastating journey. Uh, Why is he traveling? To get away from his brother Esau, who's got basically a bounty on his head. Esau had said, as soon as Isaac, our father, dies, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. I hate him. And it was his mother, uh, Rebecca, remember, who favored Jacob, who sent him away to a far country, to Padan Aram, which is where Rebecca had originally come from, to go not only find a wife, but just to be in exile, basically. And so this is a long walk of shame for Jacob. And it's a long walk that's reminding him every step of the way of what he's just lost. He'll never see his mother again, ever again. Uh, He will see his dad before he dies, but only a little bit. He will see Esau one more time, but it will be a profoundly frightening experience for Jacob in many ways. We'll get to that when we get to that. Just know this is a sad journey and it's a result of Jacob's own failures. What did Jacob do that was so bad last week that has him packing? Deceived his father, stole from Esau by deceiving his father. Uh, He received at the end of the day only what God had promised him to get. So he received a good thing that he was going to get in any case. But he did not have enough faith to wait on God to give it to him in God's way. And so he tried to take matters into his own hands by deceiving his dad with skins and stew. And it was a great story. It was like a soap opera last week that we looked at of all the different things that Jacob and Rebecca had hatched. Seemed like a good plan, but really it was just one big fat lie. And here is Jacob the liar. Jacob's name, by the way, means deceiver, grabber, cheater liar right Jacob living the part going away from the promised land stopping at a lonely rest stop along the way notice how it says he stopped at a certain place which is just a way of saying it ain't even on the map just a certain place out in the middle of nowhere he lays down to sleep and what is the only thing this man has a rock he pulls a rock out and he lays it under his head as a pillow 
Now, you think, I mean, would you do that, by the way? <laughs> would that be your first thought to think, hmm, a rock, let me, that's a pillow, beautiful. Thank you, Lord, for providing a pillow. No, I don't think so. I don't think this was necessary. I don't think we're missing something culturally here. I don't think people slept on with rocks as pillows back then, just like they don't today. I think this is probably indicative of Jacob's shame, Jacob's deep sadness. This was something that was culturally different. When people were shamed by their family uh, back in these days, they tended to heap shame upon themselves because this was a shame honor culture. And so you might you, you read stories about how so and so tore their clothes, or they put dust and ashes on their head, and all those things are signs of shame that people wore around because they had been shamed by their family. Well, I think this is like that. You know, Jacob is sleeping on a rock in a random rest stop on the way to Padan Padamaram when God overtakes him with a dream. Interesting, isn't it, what the dream is about, given that context? If you had never heard this story before, and you, thought, and you, heard, and you knew the context, and you, someone asked you, what kind of dream do you think God would send to Jacob that night? What would you guess? A way out? Yeah. Maybe some help? Or maybe hellfire and brimstone right maybe a dream to really make him feel it what he had done wrong to rub his nose in it a nightmare of epic proportions and yet Jacob doesn't have a nightmare he has one of the most beautiful dreams that a human being has ever had he sees the gospel in a picture and that's really all it is. He sees God's grace, the grace of the gospel of Jesus, in a, in a picture form in his dream. There are three things, in fact, that he sees. Each of them, starting in verse uh, 12, are preceded by the word behold. Three visible things in the dream. Behold, behold, behold. What are the three things? If you'll take a look. Behold, there was a... Ladder, okay, the first thing was a ladder or a staircase. It's, it could be either way. It's just a lot of stairs leading up high. He sees the ladder or the staircase or the stairway. Uh, this ladder was unique because it was set up on earth, and yet its top was all the way in heaven. It reached to heaven. That might remind you of something. Uh, in Genesis 11, early humanity got together wanting to build something like this. Uh, they, what was that? Tower of Babel. They, they tried to build this tower, this stairway, up into heaven, and that didn't work so well. That was more of a nightmare at the end of the day because God came and frustrated their plans and confused the language because, you know, mankind can't build to God, but it turns out God can build to mankind because here Jacob sees what people were looking for, but he sees it now let down by God rather than built up by man. Grace, grace, grace that Jacob is seeing. Uh, what's the second thing he sees? Behold what? Angels of God. Angels of God. So these are good, unfallen angels. The good guys. And what are they doing? Ascending and descending. So you've got a ladder, you've got a staircase, and they are walking up and down the ladder. There are some coming from heaven to earth, and then there are others coming back from earth to heaven. And they're just going, I, I imagine it like a circle of angels, just shoo, shoo. You know, they're... 
one side's coming down, the other side's going up. Jacob is beholding this wonderful, glorious picture of uh, an open door between heaven and earth, and heaven's affairs are affecting earth's affairs, and heaven's people are interacting with earth's people because God has let down a staircase to connect him with people. And then the last thing, what does it say? Behold what? The Lord himself. This is the best one, right? The best thing that Jacob sees is the Lord who stood above the ladder or the staircase and said. He stood above the ladder. What does that say to you? That God is on the very top. The angels are coming down like a steady circle. He's reachable. Maybe he's the one sending, you know. If you've got somebody standing at the top of a staircase and people are coming and going up and he's just standing there, then you might imagine he's the one directing the show, telling them what to do and why they're coming and going. What else? He's the goal, right? A, a staircase got to lead somewhere. Got to lead somewhere. Uh, a staircase to nowhere, that, that's kind of depressing but a staircase to somewhere is is important and in this case the staircase leads to nothing less than God himself that's the goal right and then God speaks showing that that God is not just some visible form to wow you God is a thinking person God is someone who communicates someone that you can know someone that can know you and look at what he says Again, grace, 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 grace. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you're laying right now, I will give you, and I'll give it to your descendants. And you'll have the east and the west and the north and the south. And in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Have we heard that before? What's that? Covenant with Abraham. And Jacob is getting it. Despite the fact that he's just lied and cheated to get it, he's getting it this time honest. He's getting it fair and square without having earned it. God's just showing up, giving it to him. To prove that, look at, verses 15, look at verse 15, which to me is one of the most beautiful verses in Jacob's life. Behold, another behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. Listen to this, for I will not leave you. Until I have done what I have promised to you. I will not leave you until I have done, perfect tense, completed, what I have promised, perfect tense, to you. All that I have promised, I will fulfill, and I will not leave you till it's done. How do you think our man Jacob the liar feels after seeing and hearing that? In his darkest day. He was, yes, exactly. He, he was, he awoke, he was afraid, he was amazed. How awesome. Wow, I have seen the Lord. I didn't even know, I didn't know he was here. Which indicates the last place we ever think we're going to find God is on our failing day. The last place we ever think God's going to show up is when we are doing bad. And yet, 
the God of all grace, that tends to be his favorite time to show up in our lives, to exercise and overcome us with his goodness. In fact, let me tell you this. I think what Jacob is seeing is really a picture of grace and of the gospel in visible form. Let me prove it to you. Um, turn, keep your finger in Genesis 28 and go to uh, John chapter 1. Long way between those two, but I believe you can make it. John chapter 1, uh, verse... 51, let's read the words of Jesus here, and let me just see what you think about this. This is Jesus early on in his ministry explaining himself to two of his disciples when he first met them. Are you all there? Listen. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. Son of man. Son of man is who? Jesus. That's what he calls himself. Uh, what is Jesus saying? Remember Jacob's ladder? Jacob was seeing me. And here I am. Jacob was seeing a picture of Jesus Christ. His great, 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 great grandson according to the flesh. God's own son who would come down. Jesus is the ladder. He is the stairway. Uh, this story is not about how men and women make a stairway to God. That was the Tower of Babel. That was bad. This is a story about how God makes a stairway to people in their sin and need. That's Jesus. That's good. The angels coming up and down signify that now there is peace between God and men because Jesus has laid down a bridge. He's laid down a stairway between one and the other. We can have access to God. We can get back to him. Uh, we can know God even in our deepest point of sinful need. Even when we don't deserve it. Wow. The stairway to heaven, turns out, is Jesus. What do you all think about that? It's awesome, isn't it? Um, I've always been thrilled by it, you know, you know since I discovered that that Jesus had mentioned himself as the ladder and the stairway. And as I reflected on this um, passage, since I discovered that, you know, years ago, when I first noticed it, I was teaching through John uh, to high school students at Lakeland Christian when it jumped off the page to me when I read John 151. And I went back and looked at this story, and I was like, wow, I see what he's talking about. Um, I found in this passage really all the major teachings of the Bible about grace encapsulated in Jacob's dream of the ladder. All of them are there, right? Uh, number one, the Bible teaches us grace is never deserved, never earned, never prompted by something in us. And obviously Jacob is, he's the rock pillow sleeper. You know, it's not the my pillow guy, he's the rock pillow guy. <laughs> it is not good, right? He, he is a, full, a man full of shame. And yet, here comes grace. The Bible tells that throughout. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It says before we were ever even born, God set his love on us. Uh, because Not because we deserved it. Not because of anything we had done, because we weren't born. And not because of anything we would do, because God doesn't make his choices based on our choices. He simply loved us. 
He simply decided to overcome us with grace. That's beautiful, isn't it? Grace is not deserved. Grace is unconditional. Scripture talks about God's election of his people, which we've seen over and over again in Genesis, because one of the main themes of Genesis is election. God chose a people. And here we see it again. That choice of Jacob was a choice not because he was better than Esau or better than anybody else, but simply because God wanted to magnify the beauty of his mercy. Here's something else we see. There's only one ladder to heaven. That's another teaching of grace in the Bible, throughout the Bible. There's only one way. Uh, Only one way. Why is that important that there only be one way? Because actually a lot of people think this way. If God is gracious, why wouldn't he just make many ways to him? Like why wouldn't every religion just be valid? Why wouldn't he just give everyone amnesty? Why does he insist this way? And he calls it narrow, by the way, like a stairway. Why? Can't boast about it. Can't boast about it. That's right. You didn't find it. It found you. You didn't make it. It was let down. It wasn't built up. That's right. That's, 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 that's it, right? I think that, that's the heart and soul of the reason. Uh, it's not that God um, created the other religions and then decided to condemn them. It's that the other religions represent humans' attempts to somehow build the stairway back up to heaven. And that's the reason why God has condemned all of it, except for Jesus, except for his atoning work on the cross, because that's the only thing that is truly a stairway from heaven let down by God. Because there on the cross, that wasn't the idea of any person. Uh, Remember when Jesus first started talking about the cross to his disciples? What was their response? Was it like, wow, good idea. I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking all along. This is what you should do, Jesus. God forbid. forbid. They, They had never entered the mind of man, not once, that God would do such a thing as that. Because most of the time we, and this is sort of the native operating system of the human heart, it comes with us that we want to work our way to God. And the cross, therefore, is a giant offense because it, that cross says, you cannot work to me. I'm at the top of a ladder and you cannot build it, you cannot climb it, I must come down, I must send my angels down to you and then lift you up, Right? That's the cross. Jesus said to his disciples, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on me, the ladder. I'm the ladder that God has let down from heaven. And so it's really important uh, to believe that there's only one way if we're going to, to really hold to a doctrine of grace. It is not gracious to say, Every way leads to God. That's actually not gracious because what you're saying is all the ways of human works lead to God, which is a contradiction of grace. Even though in our mind we think, well, we're being nice to people by saying they can get to heaven in their own way. But what we're saying is they can get to heaven by working there. That ain't nice. At least not to people who can't work there, which is like us. And so only, only magnifying the cross really highlights the grace of God. That's, that's one of the other things here. Another thing we see here is God's 
steady, irresistible, persevering work with people. Let me say it plainly. Once God takes a hold of you by his grace, he's not going to let you go. Salvation cannot be lost once truly gained. Now, many may think they have it and don't have it. Okay, I'm, I'm not, we're not talking about that right now. That is a real thing that happens. People think they're saved and aren't. I'm talking about people who really are, won't lose it. Such as Jacob. I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That is what God says to every Christian. Doesn't that encourage you? I mean, really, all these doctrines of grace ought to encourage us. We didn't deserve it. God came to us before we ever came to him. Only the atoning work of Christ can get me to heaven. Nothing else. Nothing else at all. And God will never let me go. He takes a hold of me. He overcomes me. He wrestles me. And he will win. Beautiful. In fact, the, the song Amazing Grace was written by John Newton. And this is exactly what he had in mind when he wrote it. John Newton was a believer in these doctrines of grace, a very strong believer in these. Why? Because he had been overtaken like Jacob was. If you know his story, he was a captain of a slave trading ship out of England in the 1700s. Nasty business. African slave trade, it's all the things that, are, that you could imagine being bad about it were bad about it. And John Newton was right in the center of it. Um, he did things on that ship that we can't even mention in church awful things and yet God overcame him and one day hearing the gospel preached God opened his heart he was saved he eventually became a pastor if you can believe that from slave ship to pulpit and he wrote the song amazing grace that saved a wretch like me I think Jacob could have sang that in this scene I once was lost with a rock for a pillow. Now I'm found with God's grace under my head to give me true assurance and true comfort. I once was blind, but now I see. Grace taught my heart to fear. Jacob said, I'm afraid. But then grace, my fears relieved. Let's have a strong view of grace, Should we, shouldn't we? I think that's a good thing for your soul. The Bible says grace strengthens the heart. Uh, other views of grace, which you can hear from even from some Christians, are very weak views of grace. It's this sort of like God is standing up there, wringing his hands, wondering if we'll come to him one day. That ain't God. That ain't the way God works. God is moving at infinite speed, folks trying to find you and trying to find other sinners who are on the run like Jacob, and he will find them. Isn't that good? Very different than this you know, God that's too, but way too much like us at the end of the day, this weak sort of ineffectual, wishful thinking kind of God, Santa Claus in the sky. God is different than that. He picks his people, and he comes after them, and he overwhelms them with mercy. All the way to the end. All right, so let's look at the second thing. The spiritual worship that Jacob responds with. We've already started to hint at it, but verses 16 to 22, he wakes up from the dream, says, Surely the Lord is here, and I didn't know it. He didn't expect God to be there. And it says he was afraid, verse 17. Now, now why do you think he was afraid? 
What do you think fear means right there? Awe, yeah, it's awe and wonder. There are different ways of being afraid. Let's talk about that for a second. Like, give me some examples of different kinds of fear. Fear of your dad. Fear of your dad. Heights. Fear of heights. Of death. Of death. Falling. Falling. Not being in control. Yeah, there's all kinds of fears. And all of them have different feelings. Could it be? Yeah. What's that? He said my wife. My wife, okay. <laughs> all the brownie points. Just, that's how quick it can happen, folks. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. What's that? A fall from grace. A fall from grace. Yeah, fall from grace. Yeah, that's right. That there is all kinds of fear, and some of them are, I think, better characterized as terror. You're on the run from something, but there's a kind of fear that is more of an amazement, a reverence. Uh, you're drawn to it. There's a running away kind of fear, and then there's a, woo, fascinated. I want to know more kind of fear as well. And you can be both about God. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of people in the Bible that are terrified and running. And if you're not walking, if you're not Looking at the ladder, you ought to be terrified. But looking at the ladder, the fear can change into a fascinating kind of fear, like a drawn to because I'm, I'm just in awe. How can he be this way? How can he be this awesome? Which is what Jacob says. How awesome. How awesome is the very place where heaven touches earth. If Jacob in his dream was seeing Jesus, which we believe he was, on the authority of Jesus himself, He's saying, how awesome the place where Jesus' feet touched the ground. Don't you know that 2,000 years after this, those feet would touch the ground there at Bethel in the story of Jesus. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of fear we're talking about here. How awesome. He's full of all. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. This is where God and man can kiss again. Where peace is made. Wow. And so it says, early in the morning, out of this overflow of his heart, he took the stone that he had used as a pillow and he set it up as an altar and poured oil on the top of it. So what does that mean? Well, well a, lot, a lot of commentators say that the pillar probably was used as a reminder of the ladder. It was, it was something sticking up out of the ground like a ladder. And he probably put oil on the top of it because he had seen God at the top of the ladder. And he was just showing that as a reminder that God had shown him this picture. And God had been at the top. And he wanted to mark the place. Maybe that's true. I think it's reasonable. But at any rate, he takes the thing that was a sign of shame... And he makes it a piece of furniture in the worship. Isn't that cool? The pillow rock became the pillar of remembrance. And the reason why he would name the place Bethel, which means house of God, Bethel, house of God. It would continue to have that name throughout the rest of the history of Israel. You can still go to Israel and find a place called Bethel. Bethel. Can't find the rock anymore, though. 
Sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of rocks everywhere, though, so it could be any of them, I guess. And then it says, Jacob made a vow. It's one of the great parts of worship in the Bible, to vow to the Lord, to commit to God. And he says, if God will be with me, if God will keep me, if God will clothe me, if God will feed me, if he'll bring me back. If, in other words, if God will do everything he just told me he's going to do, wow, if he'll do all that, then God's my God. I will take him as my God. I will be his person and he will be my God. I'll be his, his man. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. One of the first places we see this, not the first, but one of the first, we see this issue of a tenth, known as a tithe. Abraham had given it to Melchizedek in chapter 14 of Genesis. Here, uh, Jacob pledges it to God. It seems like people already were familiar with this concept that you know, when you recognize God gave you everything you have, a great way to express worship is to give part of it back to him. And it, I don't know exactly why, and I don't think anybody knows exactly why a tenth became the thing early on, but it did for some reason. And it kind of sticks through most of Scripture. Um, although the New Testament greatly transcends the tenth when it says, God loves a cheerful giver, give even out of your poverty, Paul says, because you believe in the God. I mean, you know, he, he's kind of even saying you should even give even more because we haven't just seen Jacob's ladder in a dream. We've seen Jacob's ladder in for real, like Jesus himself has come already and died. So we owe him everything. Amazing. What Jacob is doing here is he's worshiping from the heart because he's discovered grace. And that's what grace does. Grace turns people into worshipers. Worldly people into worshipers, as one writer says. Sometimes one of the criticisms of grace is if you believe too strongly in grace, you'll live however you want to live. You'll You'll be a heathen. You'll, you'll you know, live like the devil on Saturday night and come to church on Sunday morning. And that's often the accusation of, of uh, Christians who believe in grace, especially Protestant Christians like we are, often accused of that. This story shows that not truly the case. Although I'll grant you, a lot of people have said grace and lived like the devil, for sure. Yeah, right? But to truly believe and embrace grace like Jacob saw never leads you to carelessness. But always to the most careful, heartfelt worship in all of life. Does anybody know Romans 12.1 by heart? That's right. Which is your... Spiritual worship at the very end there. Did y'all hear that? I beseech you, therefore, I love you did the King James, so I'll do it in the King James too. <laughs> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in view or in light of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable act of worship. Be ye, be not conformed to the image of the world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 2, exactly, yeah. That's a wonderful verse that describes what grace really does when it invades a heart. Notice how he says it, in view of the mercies, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. That's what Jacob did. 
There is no way to read this and think, oh, okay, Jacob just got up and said his prayers because his dad told him to. This is not just a man keeping ritual. Now, I'm not saying ritual is always bad. There's, there's good rituals, brushing your teeth. There's some good rituals. Praying is a good ritual, by the way. You should have a habit. But this is more than a habit. And those who know grace will do it as more than a habit. It is God who has inspired Jacob to offer his very heart to him. Exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 12.1. He offers his body. My whole life is yours. You will be my God, he says. When I come back here, this will be your house. I will worship you. And here I'm giving you a tenth. Or I'm, I'm pledging to give you a tenth once I've got something to give. He doesn't have anything at the moment except the rock that he slept on. But when I get something, you'll get a tenth. And what this is a lesson of is this. Contrary to the common belief that grace makes you lazy is the truth, which is that grace makes you fully devoted, better than works ever can. Just use this example. Can your employer demand anything of you? He could, she could. Would they be right in doing so? Would there be a certain point that you would have a legal standing to say, nope, you can't ask that of me, you're only paying me for this. You can't, you can't call me all the time, you can't ask me to do that, or that, that illegal thing, or whatever. You can't do that because, nope, you're only, there's a certain contract that we have. I do X, you pay Y. That's a workspace relationship. When people uh, act that way towards God, that's the way it is. You know, God, I've done this and that for you. Why haven't you done your part? Or you can't ask me to do that, God, because that's not in the contract. Can your kids ask anything of you? Can your parents ask anything of you? Can your friend, best friend, ask anything? You right? That's a different kind of relationship. It ain't, wor- ain't pay-based. It's not put in a contract it's love motivating it's mercy grace mutual acceptance they can ask anything of you and very often you will be very willing to do it even though you might complain a little bit and it might be hard at first you're still willing to do it because you love them for the ages of ages of world history this is the kind of people God has been building Just that. That's the whole point of the world that God made. Is that he might have a people who, like Jacob, hear of his grace and from the heart enter into a real love relationship with him. Not contractual. Not works-based. Not give me and then I'll give you. Not you can't ask me about this because this is off limits, God. No, all of me. Because you gave all of you to me. You let the ladder down from heaven. You are the latter. Take it all. Alex. Yep. That's right. 
Grace makes you zealous for good works. That's the truth about grace, right? It's a false notion that it just makes you lazy and, oh, well, doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want to do because God forgives anyway. That's his job. A person that says stuff like that or thinks stuff like that doesn't know anything about God, not the first thing. Completely wrong about God and about grace and about yourself. you got to learn it all from the beginning. Don't know nothing. The person that really knows God and grace is zealous to give everything. Anything you ask of me, God, I mean, how, how could I say no to you? How could I? I might want to sometimes in my weakness, but how could I? After you have done so great to me, you overtook me in my shame. You overwhelmed me with grace. You let down a ladder from heaven. And you brought me all the way in. Let me just give you one thing to think about as we close as a way of application. <clears throat> Jacob worships here. He does some of the basic activities of worship. He prays. He takes a vow. He sets up a, a, a remembrance, remembers what God has done. He gives an offering. He does some of the basic. He listens to God's word and responds to it. Those are the basic elements of worship. We do those every day. We're called to do those every day. I want you to think about the difference between doing those things simply because they're your custom or because you feel like you have to and doing them because you know that the ladder has been let down from heaven and there's God to meet you. Take prayer. What's it like to pray when you see God on the other side of the ladder and you're being lifted up the cross of Jesus? Give me some words. What's it like? How's it different than just, yeah, I prayed. Awesome. Hopeful. Comforting. Personal, right? Yeah. Comforting. Thanksgiving. Gratitude. Praiseworthy. Reverent. Reverent. Humble. Consistent. Natural. That's what we should be aiming for. I'm not saying that everybody is going to have that perfect from day one of, of meeting God in Jesus. That's not going to be true. I mean, Jacob, he's a long way from finished. We'll see that. Come back next week. Stay tuned. But at least this is, we got, we got to know what the goal is, don't we? Don't we have to know what we're aiming for? We're aiming for a heart that, that's free and it's, conversation with God, free in its reverence before the Lord. It wants to pray. Think about reading the Bible. Well, how, how is it different to read the Bible knowing that it's God on top of the staircase and the staircase is Jesus and here you are being lifted up to hear from him? How awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? There are places uh, in my life that I, I feel that way about. I don't know about you, like physical places where I would, for seasons of my life, go to pray and go to read the scripture and meditate. There's a chair in my study at home. I often think about that place. How awesome is this place? Not much to it. It's from Ikea, so it's not that great, but 
How awesome is that chair? There's a place in Tallahassee as a, as a student at university that I used to go out and walk and pray. And I still think about that place. How awesome. There's a place out at Seven Wetlands that I still often, and hopefully they'll open it up soon since the hurricane, but there's a place out there that I think the same of. How awesome is this place? Because it's a place where I often take a little Bible, take a walk, get some exercise while praying, while reading. God meets me there. Where's your awesome place? It's here with you. That's one of, this is one of my places. I don't know about you, but this is an awesome place to me. You know, it really is to me. Um, when we come here to hear the word, and, and listen, I, I know I'm the, the preacher usually, but I feel like I've spent my whole week preaching it to myself, and I'm just as blessed by the word as y'all are, <laughs> even though, you know, on Sundays, it's definitely a different experience for me than I'm sure it is for you. I still feel that this is awesome. The, the giving and receiving of the sacraments here in this place to me is awesome. When that table comes out and sits right down here, I, it's my favorite day. Because my Lord is here. The ladder's been let down and we get to go up, y'all. Right? When I get to feel that child's hairless head on the other side of my baptizing hand, like little Eli right there, several weeks ago. That's awesome. That's how awesome is this place? A place where God chooses his people and draws them to himself even from their mother's womb. Wow. Isn't it sad that as we get older, we lose wonder, right? <laughs> we lose that muscle of being able to be like, wow. It took a dream for Jacob to get it back. Y'all, I think, I think we can get it back. And I think it's a big part of living the Christian life to get that back and to have that. Your whole life will not be a series of highs as a Christian, but, I, but and I'm not trying to say that it will be, but it's good to relish the highs. <laughs> it's good to feed off of them because that's, those are the moments where heaven touches earth. Amen?